In this week's episode, we have serial entrepreneur Sam Anderson, who owns Legacy Vending and Enso Media Firm. He is also the host of You Can't Afford Me podcast. Sam Anderson sits down with me and explains what an entrepreneur truly is based upon his 10 plus years of experience in the game. He gives the mindset and the tools you need to be the greatest entrepreneur and take your business from zero to six figures. Enjoy this episode. The only way to mitigate not being successful is to not quit. That's it. If you don't quit, you might make it. And if you quit, you definitely will. And (sighs) we are back. So, uh, I got to start this with, I appreciate you having me again. For sure, man. Uh, <laughs> last time I came down, um, the air in my car didn't work. Dude. Yeah. So. These, these dogs somewhere <laughs> in Virginia right now, man. This ain't no joke. So, the, the thing uh, about that is, um, you know, I just, it was something I've been putting off. I've been spending money in other places. Mm-hmm. And. As an entrepreneur, I wanted to ask you if you would be willing to share. Yeah. What is the biggest thing or most embarrassing thing that you had to hold off on? Because you either had to pay people mm. or, you know, you had to pay bills or take care of your family. I I think I know exactly what I'm going to tell you. Pro- to some people, this may not be embarrassing. To me, it was um, my wife's engagement ring. So I had to ask my parents to loan me the money for me to propose to my wife. And I paid them off within like, I think it was like five, six months. Yeah. Um, But it just didn't feel good to start off my marriage having to borrow money. Wow. But I have, I learned this from Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. He gives everything 36 months. So my wife didn't know this, but I wasn't going to propose to her before we were together for three years. Because by that point, you know, whether it's business or a personal relationship, you know, if this is really the right thing for you. Right. So I was like, I'm giving this 36 months. So she was begging me to propose before then. And I'm back in my head. I'm like, Ain't 36 months. <laughs> um, and I knew where things were going to go for me. Like I know the financial place that I was in at that moment wasn't going to be forever. I knew my trajectory, but it was very hard and embarrassing on my end to have to ask my parents for money for the engagement ring. Okay. Did it take you 36 months to pay it back? No, nah, hell no. Like, <laughs> it was like, I think it was six months. I, I just hate asking people for money. Mm. Like I cannot stand it. And as an entrepreneur, that's also one thing I've had to change because there are ways in which you should be requesting money from other people. So mm. like my theme this year is OPM, other people's money. Right. So like with expansion and things that I'm doing for different businesses and this brand, I can't scale, but so hard if I'm bootstrapping everything, right. like I'll eventually get the money I need, but it's like, why do that when somebody else is willing to give me their money and you know, I can capitalize on that. So in the personal sense, I hate borrowing money from people, but as a business owner, I now look forward to opportunities where I can use other people's money. And it's funny, like you said, you hate asking people for things, but that is what an entrepreneur essentially yeah. does. Right. Yeah. And 
the first interview <laughs> that <laughs> we had, uh, I asked you what your definition of an entrepreneur was. Mm-hmm. And could you answer that for me again? Yeah. it's I got a sign in, in my hallway that says an entrepreneur is someone who jumps out of a plane and builds a parachute on the way down. Yep. You're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to know what to do. The key word in that phrase is jump. Too many people are just like, you're not an entrepreneur until you go all the way in. And I know how that may hit some people. But for me, you know, because I lived that life where I had one foot in the corporate world and one foot in entrepreneurship. And it just doesn't work out. Like, you just have to fully commit yourself to something. Like, going back to relationships, that's, you know, if you have somebody that you want to marry and you still got your side piece over here and then you're talking to her, like (laughs) you're never going to make that full, like you got to go all the way in one way or the other. Um, So entrepreneurs are those people that, you know, you make that commitment. Now I will say this, I don't think it's smart to do it the way I did. Uh, I didn't have the finances in place. I didn't have any savings. I didn't have anything. And I looked my boss in the eye and said, you can't afford me anymore. And I quit. And if I could have done it a different way, I would have, but it was like a sickness for me. Like mm. entrepreneurship was calling me so hard. Like I physically couldn't stand working for this man anymore. Like I just, I just couldn't do it. Uh, I didn't care what I had to do like struggle wise. Like as long as I wasn't giving all my time to somebody else, it was worth the struggle in my opinion. So when I first got started, Uber had just started in Richmond. So like there were like no Uber drivers. So I go out on Saturday night, you know, I'm driving till 3 AM, but I'm making 500 bucks. Right. And I'm like, well, if I can do this two week every day, you know, Friday and Saturday night, make a thousand bucks just driving on the weekend. Right. Do that every weekend. Right. Yeah, I'm making enough money to to live. At the time I was a single guy, my apartment, I uh, had a roommate. I may have been paying five to six hundred bucks in rent. So it was like one night of Ubering like covered my rent and anything after that was like, you know, basically a cherry on top. Um but you have to make that leap of faith. Like you you can't waver back and forth. Mm. What how old were you at that time? So I was Third, 30 years old because um, I turned 39 this year. So it's been nine years since I made the leap. Wow. Yeah. What is the uh, biggest misconception about going from zero to 10,000 mm-hmm. and going from 10,000 to 100,000 as an entrepreneur? Yeah. That zero to anything is going to be the hardest <laughs> time. It, it, was, it was so hard because – especially when, and and not every entrepreneur is like this. I'm a visionary. Like I can see things out years in advance and know exactly where I'm going to be or what this is going to turn into. And it's just very, it's very difficult to imagine yourself living a certain lifestyle, but then you're going home and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. (laughs) Like it's a hard thing emotionally to get through. Um, And the grind is a lot harder at the beginning. Right. So, it was literally just making the connections, networking, you know, excelling my craft, the time that you have to put into it initially to get from zero to, I think you're probably right on. I think my first year in business, I may have, this wasn't in what I made. The business generated like 18 grand for the whole year. Wow. Um, so I go from zero to 18 grand, you know, that ain't, and I had a business partner. So, you know, if I was lucky, I brought home maybe six, seven K <laughs> without paying uncle Sam. Um, Uncle Sam's paid up now though. Right. <laughs> uh, but you know, that wasn't anything to support me. Mm-hmm. Um, going from 15 or 18 to a hundred K was a lot easier than people would think because once you know what you're doing, like it's just a matter of putting in the time. 
Like if you're a salesperson, you know, for every hundred phone calls you make that you're going to close 15 people. Right. Well, then it's just a matter of how quick can I make a hundred calls because you know, you're going to close 15 deals. And that's when it got to the point where it wasn't me learning how to use a camera or learning different social media methods or learning how to develop a website. I already knew all this stuff by the time I got to 18,000. So the skill set was already there. Now it's just, how do I scale this thing up? And probably the biggest part of that, I think at that time when I made a hundred K for the first time, um, the business generating hundred K it was just me and my business partner. So I didn't have any employees. I was really, he was my employee. Like, right. I had to manage him. <laughs> right. Um, but where things really scaled up is where I put together a team where it's, I heard P Diddy say this one time. He's like, you know, the hustle is I'm paying you to do the stuff that I don't want to do. Right. Like that's ultimately, <laughs> and this is the first time after nine years, this is the first time I'm in that mind space and I have the capabilities of saying, Hey, I don't want to do that. This is what I pay you for. Like I told you when we, before we started every Friday, now I play golf. Right. I told my team, don't book anything. Luckily the schedule worked out. Yes, yes, I'm, not, yes. I'm not playing golf till 3 30 today. <laughs> Normally I have a tea time by like one o'clock, <laughs> but I told my team don't schedule anything on Fridays past 12 o'clock. Cause I'm not going to be here. I'm playing golf. And at first I felt a little guilty about that. But when I go back and look at the blood, sweat and tears that I put into this, I no longer want to work for the business. I want the business working for me. I didn't get into this to create a job for myself. I got in this to create an empire. Right. And if I'm a slave to the business all the time, well, then I was better off staying in corporate America because when I go home, I'm still thinking about what needs to be done here. When I leave a corporate job after five o'clock, I ain't got to give it another thought. Right. Um, so I finally got into the place and it's like, it really is the team because I have people I can trust. I have people that have the capabilities of not only maintaining what I've built here, but excelling it. Like if I leave town for two weeks, they're still going to close deals. Nice. That hasn't always been the case. And it's taken me up to this point. It's probably only been the course of the last year that I would say I've gotten to that point where like, Hey, I can roll out and feel completely comfortable. And that's why I have the flexibility of, you know, starting the vending machine business and getting into real estate investing is because I'm not tied to my desk now anymore. Like it used to be, and I generally still get here at 8 AM. Um, but throughout the day, I may actually spend four or five hours max in my office, like wow. doing work. Um, don't let my wife hear this, but yesterday I was at Dick's Sporting Goods, like picking up some <laughs> golf gear. Um, I went and enjoyed lunch. Like right before you came, I was meeting with a buddy of mine. Uh, he and I were always talking business, but we we're grabbing lunch. Right. Um, there wasn't a time where I always felt comfortable leaving the office for an hour to go have lunch. It was always like, you know, let me cram something in my mouth for 10 minutes and get straight back to work. I ain't got to do that anymore. Um, I can do all these things guilt-free because of the team. So zero to 15, 18, it's a straight grind. Like you ain't sleep. Like I was working from, you know, 6 a.m. to about 11 o'clock at night. And then from getting to the six figures, that was bringing on some contractors and getting my business partner in line and just, you know, your skill set is better. You can charge more money for it. People start to hear about you. You start to pick up more business. But that sweet spot of once we got over 100K, it was all about building the team. Wow. In the E Myth, uh, the author, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but Great he, Bug, though. Yeah, he talks about um, the myth of the entrepreneur, right? Yep. And for a while, you were talking about being a technician. Mm-hmm. And how hard was it for you to go to, from technician to manager? What he speaks of 
to actually being the entrepreneur. Yeah. It's just a mindset shift. Um, and it's that simple. I, for me, it's hard because I, I will easily admit I'm a workaholic. Um, like this week, I told you, like my back's been a little bit messed up. So I've, from time to time throughout the day, I have to lay on my couch in my office and with an ice pack and sit there and rest for 20 minutes at a time. And I hate the idea that one of my staff members is walking by my office and I'm like, look at Sam's ass just laying <laughs> on the couch while we're over here working. So I run, I've run to all of them like, hey, guys, I got a back problem. Right. Like, I'm, just, I'm not sitting here BSing. Like I'm icing my back. I'm just sitting here for 20 minutes and I'm back up. I just hate the appearance of looking lazy. Mm. I just hate it. And it's it's always that thought of there's somebody out there trying to get the crown. There's some other guy that started a business just like this and he's trying to take my clients from me and I don't ever want to be caught sleeping. And that actually happens. Like, so I'm always on my grind, but my grind's a little bit different now. Right. Like I can grind for myself on my laptop. Now grind doesn't mean that I'm actually out physically doing all these things. I'm not the one emailing everybody and setting appointments. I'm not the one taking all the payments and processing. Um, the team's in place for that. I come in place for certain meetings. So it's just reestablishing my role and giving more people power. Because when you enable other people on your team with more power, they have a little bit more, a little bit more skin in the game. Right. They start to realize that, hey, this guy trusts me. I don't want to disappoint him. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the best that I possibly can. And when you enable people in those positions, your job should get easier the bigger the business gets. Mm. So once I started to see these pieces kind of coming together and realize, now don't get me wrong, I still got to clap that ass on them. <laughs> like, hey man, you messing up? Like, right, we right, get this right. In line. I was about to ask you. Is yeah, <laughs> no, we, we 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 still clapping cheeks, but getting them in the mindset, and and I've come to them over the last couple of weeks, and I'll say this: my VP admittedly came to me and said, because um, every times I've gotten on them, and I think they've thought that the things I was saying were a little little nitpicky, like. And they immediately say, like, Sam, everything's good. Like, no clients are behind. Um, everybody's paid up. The team's not overwhelmed. Like, we're good. And I'm pointing out, like, the minuscule things. And I'm like, yeah, we're good now. Right. But if we get another $40,000 of monthly business coming through the door, can you guys handle that? And there's some things I'm seeing here that tells me, no, we can't. So – don't this isn't the time to take your gas off the foot off the pedal. Uh-huh. Like now we got to tighten some things up. Our systems have to be better. Our customer service has to be better. Our response rate has to be better. All these things. And at the beginning of this week, this is a good teaching point at the beginning of this week, I had one client cancel and she's worth about a thousand bucks a month to us. Um, wow. I had another client. So most of our 80% of our clients are on a monthly billing system. Um, and it's a user to lose system like T-Mobile. Those, those minutes don't convert over to the next month. Like you use your talk time or you, you don't get it at all. And it's not something that we hide from our clients. Like we're trying to schedule with them. But if you can't align your schedule, like we do everything, we can't align your schedule. But if you keep canceling on us, that ain't our fault. Um, so there's one company, they've been getting charged for the last eight, nine months. Our, our team had consistently been reaching out to them saying, hey, we want to get you scheduled. And, you know, they kept ghosting us. But their credit card is going through every month. And then all of a sudden they realized – holy crap, we're still paying this company and we ain't done jack. So the guy called me up, basically said, hey, I don't give a damn what your excuse is. You're going to refund me 5K. And, dude, I, I swear to God, this was a master class on how to change a conversation. We went from at the beginning, and he was cussing me out at the beginning. We went from that guy demanding me to refund him 5K immediately that by the end of that conversation, he was like, you know what? I actually do need more video. 
<laughs> so not only did I keep the 5K, I got him on track. We had a game plan put together. And then after we make up his content, I'm pretty sure he's going to sign on for another monthly subscription. Wow. Um, but I share that because that was at the very beginning of this week. So like my VP and people were freaking out. Like, oh, God, dude, like we're losing clients this week. Within that same breath, somebody I had quoted four years ago randomly hit me up. This guy owns a clothing line, randomly hit me up and said, hey, man, I wasn't in the right mindset. Then the brand is taking off. This is too much for me to handle. I need your team now. Met with them two days ago, and he's signing contract. Um, a bank that I've been talking to for the last two years out of nowhere said, hey, we're ready to get rolling with you. And it's upwards of four or five K on that. A law firm that uh, we have been talking to came out of nowhere. $7,000 job. Like all this stuff closed the same week that we thought we were going to ultimately lose about $6,000. And they start to see like, Hey, it really is this roller coaster ride. Right. And I normally shield them from a lot of stuff. Right. Um, but I tell them like, when you think Sam's chilling or something's going on, there are so many fires that I'm putting out that you guys have no idea. Right. Like to a certain degree, like, you know, if you're a dad and you lose your job. You can't walk in your house. Today, right. It's like, that guys got laid off today. Um, kids going to freak out. They're right, not gonna right, know how to right, handle right, right. So I have to, I have to keep that in mind with certain staff members. Like they can't know everything because they're going to freak out and think that, you know, their job's in limbo, yeah. which is not, but they may hear something and translate it into that. So it's that up and down effect of like, dude, entrepreneurship is literally a roller coaster. Right. But that's the part that I love because I never know what any given day is going to look like. I could lose 10K. I could make 20K. You never know. Um, but if you're on your game, like those numbers were, it's like the stock market. Like I got stocks that, you know, I right. may have bought for like $10 that are worth 150 yeah. bucks now. But that line for that stock didn't just go like this. It dipped, came back up, went back down, came back up. But it was still going in this trajectory. It just wasn't a straight line. Um, and that's all entrepreneurship is. Do because you know of the ebbs and flows of, of being an entrepreneur, are you sometimes just purposefully causing disruption in your organization to maintain a certain level of aggressiveness? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Sometimes I test my team members where I, I, got, I got some pet peeves. And I, I understand I'm a Gemini. I take that for what it is. Like some of you know oh, what that means. Yes. Um, but like, I, I don't like stuff being in disarray. Like, because they don't know any given time that I may have a client walking through the door. So like, I don't, if we got a shipment in, I don't want those boxes sitting out in the hallway. Like if you just finish a shoot in the studio, pack the stuff up and put it where it's supposed to go. Um, if you're in the bathroom and, and a, a piece of toilet paper dropped on the floor, pick it up. Right. Like it's these little things. So like there was a time a couple weeks ago, um, there was something, it was a piece of gear or something. I just sat, I was like, I ain't gonna touch it. <laughs> But I'm watching every single day. I'm like, which one of these dudes is going to pick this up and put this away? They didn't do it for two weeks. And I came to them during the Monday meeting. I was like, look, dude, um, I was testing y'all this week. Like, why am I walking by? It was the dishes. Like, somebody had been drinking out of the glasses and just leaving the stuff in the sink. I was like, let me explain something to you guys. Everybody in this office has a mama. But unfortunately, your mama don't work here. So clean your own stuff up. I'm not. I don't get you had the CEO in the kitchen scrubbing dishes the other day. Right. Like eventually I got to the point where I'm like, I'm just going to take it right, myself, right. but I'm going to get, make sure the lesson gets across. Um, just pick up after yourself, but I'll, I'll do things like that where, you know, oftentimes I may not be in a meeting, but our walls are pretty thin here in this office. So my office is directly across from here. 
I can hear them in here having a Zoom call. And I'll pause my music on my computer and I'll just sit there and listen. And I'm like, client, bring something up. I'm like, okay, let me see how they navigate this. And most of the time they handle it correctly. But there's sometimes they'll say something. I'm like, next time a client asks something like that, this is what you need to say. Um, so you give them these teaching moments where they don't feel they're being micromanaged. They're given the lead way to, to operate in the role that they were hired for. Um, but that doesn't mean I can let everybody go all willy nilly. Like I need to know for certain when I'm out of town that things are being said and done correctly. Wow. So this is your, your baby, right? Mm-hmm. But before this business, I'm sure you had other businesses, right? Yep. So how, how did that transition happen? Where did, what did you have prior to this? Mm-hmm. And can you tell me a little bit about the, the firm here? That yeah. We're... So I ultimately had three businesses before I started Enzo. The first was Richmond Bubble Soccer. You put on the huge bubble suits and play full contact soccer. So we had that for about seven years. And then I started three months after I started that brand with a partner. Um, I started a valet laundry service. Um, and then in the midst of that, I needed, I came to the realization that I needed marketing services, but I was only three months in business. I didn't have the cash flow to like pay a firm to do something, but I'm like, you know, let me shop around and see what it is. So I know what I need to be working towards. Uh, first studio I went to quoted me 16 grand for a video. And I then went to Facebook and all the responses were like, Hey, my cousin got a camera for 50 bucks. He can, you know, he got a camera for Christmas. He can shoot a video for 50 bucks. So it was the stuff I wanted. I couldn't afford the stuff I could afford. I didn't want, um, sat down and realized ultimately, Hey, I've, I've made a lot of connections over the last, you know, 10 years of my career. I think I know some guys that do this, um, reached out to all of them. None of them had a desire to own their own business. They don't want the headache of it, but they just enjoyed being creatives. So I started then what is now Enzo Media Firm was before Anderson Consulting. And I didn't have the skill set to do any of this stuff. I just found guys who wanted to do it and didn't want the headache of owning a business. So I brought them all the business. They showed up and got the jobs done. I cut them a check and we moved on to the next thing. So in the process of that, I just fell in love with marketing. I tell everybody I dropped out of college at the junior level, but I graduated YouTube University, summa cum laude. I just went home every (laughs) single day and I studied everything I could about marketing, video, all that kind of stuff. Um, eventually got myself to the point where I could do this stuff on my own. That way, you know, I could train staff to do it in the style that I needed it done for this business. Um, so I had that then, you know, all these brands are popping up, um, from me. So I started what is now Mr. Preneur. Um, so that kind of goes into my public speaking. I do one-on-one coaching with entrepreneurs, things like that. Um, and then with Enzo, you know, our primary focus is social media management, video production, website design, podcasting, um, photography. Uh, we have certified drone operators I actually broke our wedding division off into a separate LLC. So we have Enzo weddings now okay. that used to be under this umbrella. Um, outside of that also own legacy vending was a business I started at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's a vending machine business where we have, for profit organizations actually sponsor each machine, which basically takes care of our upfront costs to to get a machine. And then they select a nonprofit that they want to support. That nonprofit gets 10% of the proceeds each month. They get the branding on the side of the machine. Uh, and then I started Warren Investment, named that after my father. And that's just me going out and getting commercial and residential real estate and, and investing on that end. Uh, biggest thing I've learned on my track to success is that no one I've ever met that is wealthy didn't own real estate. And I'm not talking about the house you live in, like outside of that, they have investment properties. So 
I finally bit the bullet last year or at the beginning of this year and said, you know, I've been talking about this forever. I need to put my money where my mouth is. Probably one of the scariest things I've done since I was an entrepreneur because I'm still pretty new in this space. Like, I don't know a whole lot about real estate investing, um, but I just invest with the, with this one thought in mind is that the one thing in this world we know God ain't making no more of his land. All right. So if you buy it, eventually you're going to get a return on it. Right. And I got one property in Petersburg I purchased in February this year for $3,000. I didn't even cut the grass and it's already valued at $16,000. Like literally just sitting there, I ain't done nothing to it. Um, so that's kind of opened up my eyes. And then I think two months after that, I bought my second property. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of had to put a pause on that because there's some things that I'm doing here. Like for me, that was the goal this year was having at least two properties. So I've already accomplished that before the first half of this year. So it's not something I'm feeling forced that I need to focus on right now. But um, the education department with Enzo and the stuff I'm doing with Mr. Preneur, like I have a goal this year that somebody's paying me 10K for a speaking engagement. I don't know where the money's coming from. I just know it's going to happen. I like that. Yeah. And I had somebody reach out to me, a previous client the other day, and they asked me like, hey, would you be willing to come in and do a social media training? And I'd tell them, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I love you guys. I would love to come in and do the training, um, but I don't do free speaking engagements anymore. So here's the rate. Would love to come in and, you know, add value to your team. But, you know, I'm sure you can understand I've been doing this for free too long. Like, I got to charge you for it. Right. Wasn't in their budget, but it felt good to stand on those morals and say, you know what? I'm not giving in anymore. Like, I have the information now. I'm not giving away for free anymore. Right. You got to get bigger fish. Yeah. Uh, and I love you giving that whole lengthy soliloquy and, and defining moment about, who you are, because mm-hmm. that's why I wanted you on the show, because you're a wealth of knowledge. So I did listen back to our episode prior that we had. <laughs> and um, I wanted to ask you several questions, but this question comes to mind is, how do you know you're going in the right direction? Mm, that's a good question. Um, a couple things. One, I have learned to always trust my gut. There have been some things in the past where I second guess my gut, And then later on realized that was absolutely the right decision and I shouldn't have hesitated. Like this is on a smaller scale, but uh, you know, me owning a marketing firm, you know, I'm heavy on social media. Like I, I know everything there is to know about social media. And I remember I didn't used to invest in the stock market just because I didn't have the knowledge in it. And I remember when Facebook announced that they were going public and I'm like, yes, this is finally my time to get involved in the stock market. At about a thousand bucks set to the side. And I'm like, I'm taking this whole thousand. I'm just buying Facebook stock. And I literally did the worst thing I possibly could. The day before Facebook went public, I turned on CNN, which I never <laughs> do. And, you know, all the figures and experts on there are saying, hey, don't invest in Facebook. This is the worst thing. We don't know what it is. We don't know how they're going to make money moving forward, blah, blah, blah. And I think when Facebook first opened up, they were at like two to four dollars a share or something like that right now i think they're over 200 bucks a share somewhere around there mm-hmm. um so if i had taken that thousand dollars and invested it all in facebook i mean that would be a pretty penny right now it probably wouldn't be mr preneur yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like that taught me a valuable lesson like dude i'm never listening to somebody else again like if i have a gut feeling on something i'm just doing it and there have been things in business where you know sometimes you just can't explain it like okay. this, this is where I'm being called. Like 
you know, if you looked at things on the surface, when I left my job, that was the highest paying job I ever had before in my life. And to leave that and know I was going to be broke for probably at least another year, minimum, probably a stupid thing to do. But my gut's telling me this is what you're meant to do with your life. Like once you find your calling, and I'm not one of those guys that's real big on, you know, find your passion and make a business out of that. Right. Because a lot of people are going to go broke doing that. You need to find because my passion isn't marketing. My passion isn't vending machines. My passion isn't this, that, or the other. My passion is starting something from scratch and building it into something worth something. Right. Um, I just like creating. That's where my passion lies. But I had to find the avenues that were going to pay me what I thought I would worth was worth or that I could build up to that level. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really just trusting your gut. That's how you know you're in the right direction. And I love that you said the word create creating because mm-hmm. I wanted to know, can creativity be taught? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. It's something you're born with. You either got it or you don't. Um, and that's kind of in the same vein of like teaching some somebody entrepreneurship. Like it pains me that universities allow you to major in entrepreneurship. Like that's not something that you can just learn in a book. You have to go out and actually do it. Okay. Like you're no step closer to being an entrepreneur with a master's degree in entrepreneurship. Like that's not going to help you in any form or fashion. Right. Um, so yeah, go go on that direction. Like I always use the example of like a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James. I can go work out on a basketball court for 15 hours a day and I'm never going to be Michael Jordan or LeBron James. It was part of what was born in those guys. Like right. they just had the DNA to be great yeah. in that field. Now, don't mistake this like talent. Also, you need hard work. So they didn't just rely on their talent. Like they worked harder than anybody else. Um, and I should probably throw Kobe's name in that too. I I, I was telling somebody the other day, I hate how Kobe's always left out of that conversation. Now I'm <laughs> Kobe's one of the ghosts too. Um, but you know, you can't teach somebody how to be LeBron James. Right. You got it or you don't. Um, I've seen people sing it like, uh, you know, horrible little bars, like on my travel, they can sing better than Usher, but you ain't never going to see them on MTV because there are all these different qualities it takes to make a star. Mm. Like just because you can sing, that ain't it. Right. Like you look at somebody like, uh, I know a lot of people like Lizzo because of this, because she doesn't fit the stereotypical look of what a star looks like. Like the girl's obese, You're not supposed to be a sexy singer. If you're overweight, right? She broke through that mold. Most people would ne- most people would never be able to duplicate what Lizzo did, and came into the industry at her th- in her thirties. Yeah, which you don't do that. <laughs> Coming in at a later time, Samuel L. Jackson did the same thing. He right. didn't pop off till he was forty. Right, um, and he didn't even pop off then. He like he got his first acting role at forty. Yeah. Um. So with that note, it's never too late. You should always go after it. Um. But yeah, I, I don't think it's something that you can teach. It has to be some element of that that you're born with. So what is the, what books, right? I mentioned E-Myth. Mm-hmm. What books have you read top three mm-hmm. that you would recommend someone who's looking to further themselves and yep. become a great entrepreneur? Yep. So I got two top of mind. I'm going to have to think of the third one. First one I always recommend to people is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. It was literally like I was seeing life in black and white until I read that book. Like I didn't realize that there was an opportunity for me to own my own business and generate my own income that way. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, for sure. I mean, he's mainly talking about real estate. Right. You know, the beginning chapters he talks about is Rich Dad owns a business, but he's primarily talking about real estate. But everything he's saying translates into entrepreneurship. Um, 
The second one is also a recent read for me is profit first. It has completely changed the way I operate my business. So typically for business owners, we end up paying ourselves last. Like the business and our employees always eat before us. Uh-huh. And not saying that profit first changes that, but here's a beautiful thing is that there have been some months in business where I'm like, yo, we killed it. Like this was dope. Like we got more clients in than ever. Like this is our top grossing client ever. And I look at my personal checking account and I don't see a difference. <laughs> so the profit first model allows you to take, you know, you have your operational expenses, but uh-huh. I ultimately have like five different checking accounts for each business. You know, one's my operating account, which all the bills and everything come out of that. Uh, then I have our, my reserve profit account, which anything outside of like my operational expenses goes into profits. So, you know, you look at these major companies like the CEO of Walmart, he's going to get a quarterly bonus every year uh-huh. um, based on the profits. Every small business should be operating that same way. Um, like this past quarter, like I wrote myself the biggest single check that I've ever been able to write myself. Nice. And it didn't hurt the business at all. It was all profit. Nice. Um, and the mistake that a lot of business owners make is that, oh, I got this extra money. Let me reinvest it back into the business. Now, in the early days, yes, I'm nine years into the game. I shouldn't I don't need that much money to continually reinvest in the business. If I need a large sum of money to put into the business, I need to be using somebody else's money. Um, so now we have this profit model and it also I have money in reserves. So if something were to happen here and we lose a bunch of clients, we can continue to operate for the next six months. It's like a, a nest egg that you would use in your personal finances. You need six months of expenses, operating expenses for your business just set aside. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get that to a certain level, you can start taking that money and investing it. You know, I have a goal. Uh, our, our lease at this facility ends in three years. Instead of renewing my lease in three years, I want to be putting a down payment on my own building. So having that reserve account and these extra funds are going to enable me to do that. I have a checking account for gear. So like if a camera breaks, I don't have to stress and be like, Oh, where are we going to get the money for this? I really don't want to pay for this right now. There's a separate account that said that if something happens, I can dig the money right out of there and and pay for it. So I need to take that note. Yeah. I mentioned the camera, (laughs) (laughs) but the profit first book, like I did the ebook, I ordered the book or I did the audio book and ordered the physical book. That book, over the course of the last six years of me being an entrepreneur, that's probably been the most eye-opening book that okay. I've read. Um, and then another one would probably be, uh, this is more on the motivational side, but uh, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Um, David Goggins is a maniac. He is a freak of a man. Um, and I love that he says in the book, don't do this crap that I did. Like, I'm a maniac. <laughs> don't do this. Because he's running on, like, broken legs and, like, all this crazy stuff. I had a heart problem, had a hole in his heart, didn't even know it, like all this crazy stuff. But, you know, it's just sometimes we need those inspirations. And I'm not the type of guy that needs a cheerleader. Like, I don't need no hoorah and good job and all this stuff. Like, I motivate myself every single day. Ain't nothing you can tell me that's going to motivate me more than I can motivate myself. So in the early days, I listened to a lot of motivational stuff and things like that to get my engines going. But, like, after a period of time of feeding that into your mind, like that's just the type of person you are. Like I'm just generally a positive person. Like Mm. if something goes wrong, I can generally see the positive side of that um, or the lesson that needs to be learned. But David Goggins, like it just makes you realize, like if you think you're doing something, you ain't doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You still got work to do. So you mentioned the profit first book, which Mm. I wrote down. 
Um, that's definitely something I'm adding to Buy the library. That immediately, yeah. I'm telling you. I'll had today the yep. Amazon orders happening in the car with AC this time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mr. Beast mm-hmm. is someone who reinvests everything. Yeah. Back into the business. Well, he also lives a different type of lifestyle. I was recently watching um, an interview with him. And, and it all depends on the phase that you're at in your life. So, like, he's a single guy with no kids. Right. Like, Well, that's why I asked it. Because there's a lot of conflicting information yeah. out there, right? So, how do you know what works best for you, right? I asked you how you know that you're making the right decision, but... How do you receive information? How do you filter through all the information out there? Because you're talking about profit yeah. first. Mr. Beast talk about reinvesting in his business. Yeah. And there's all these conflicting, uh, you know, um, thoughts and theories about what you should do in your business. How do you for sure say, well, I read this book and this is applicable to us here. Yeah. I, I think it's again, just going with your gut. Um, but I, you have to look at where the information is coming from. So like I use this example with people a lot. Like it blows my mind that like this happens more with females, I think than men. <laughs> um, a girl will go to her, her girlfriend and ask her for relationship advice. And the girl she's asking relationship advice from has been divorced three times. Like, why are you asking this girl? Like she clearly has a track record of not being able to maintain a healthy relationship and you're getting advice from her. Not the route you should go. You need to talk to somebody who's been married for 50 years and ask them what they would do in this situation. Um, So I look at like something like that coming from Mr. Beast. This is a guy who's much younger than me. Right. Who's single. Doesn't really have any responsibilities outside of his brand. And he doesn't have kids. So when I was at the age and the level that he is in terms of like lifestyle, I didn't need a whole lot. Like some of us just the more money I make, the more I realize I don't want the things I thought I wanted. Like I really don't want a Ferrari. Like right. by the time you see the money stacking up and you can go out and go get this stuff, you're like, what the hell am I going to do? It's like, I don't want <laughs> Cause you realize like a lot of these things you're just doing to impress other people. Hmm. Now I want to be the guy with the Volvo where you have no idea what kind of money I'm making. Um, I don't want to look rich. I want to be wealthy. Right. So I don't need to flash all this stuff. And he's the type of guy where like, he doesn't, I mean, you look at his clothing, like, you know, he ain't rocking Gucci and all got the right, newest right. Jordans. He's definitely that. a minimalist. Yeah. yeah. So when you have that lifestyle and you have no desire to do all these things, especially when you can't afford it and you realize you really don't want to, mm. like Ocho Cinco said in an interview before with Shannon Sharp, where uh, he said all throughout his NFL career, he was wearing fake diamonds. He's like, why? I'm already Ocho. Like, right. ain't nobody going to question if this is a real diamond or not. Like, why do I need to go drop $100,000 on a chain? When I can go to Claire's and get a lookalike for a hundred dollars, yeah. <laughs> like ain't nobody questioning it. And I've always said that too. If I was a, a, a mega superstar like that, you would never catch me spending that kind of money on jewelry. Just get the fake stuff because ain't nobody gonna question if Beyonce's got a real diamond necklace on. Like who cares? Right. Um. So and now nah, I just went off track. No, but I I do remember uh, Chad going into Claire's, uh, and it was something on Fox at the time yeah, yeah, NFL yeah. Sunday, but. Uh, a question I want to ask you is because you've been doing this for 10 years, mm. right? And I love sitting down with people who, uh, which 10 years, crazy, is is a lengthy amount of time. And to entrepreneurs who've been doing it right. Is, <laughs> so you're still fairly new, but you're you're so successful in this time span. How do, how do you 
stay positive, right? Because you have to accept that there are some mm. negative things that come with it, right? So yeah. how do you find that balance? I mean, what other choice do I have? To just persevere. Yeah, what other choice do I have? Like, when when I was in college, I remember when I quit college, I operated in the mindset of, what if my family lived in a different country? What if they're on the other side of the United States? And I didn't have access to them to say, hey, I need rent money, or hey, I need this, or hey, can I move back into the house? I've always operated independently. Um, so I got a crappy apartment that was less than two miles away from my parents. Um, and I couldn't even afford that, but I did it because I'm like, I need to figure out how to do this stuff on my own. Um, and this is how horrible the apartment was. I could literally sit on my bed and open the, uh, stove door with my foot on my bed. (laughs) Like it was literally like 300 square feet and it was in an insurance building. So it was like, this guy had an insurance business and they were just like, three rooms that he rented out and made apartments. Right. And I think I was paying like 300 bucks a month or something for it. It was, it was crappy place. <laughs> um, but to look at that, like, I mean, what choice do I have? Like, you know, if something dramatic happens in my life, I'll ultimately give myself no more than 15 minutes to whine and complain about it because just sitting there and whining about it, like, what is that going to fix? It's going to do absolutely nothing. Um, and then also realize that, you know, there are no real L's in life. It just lessens. Uh-huh. Like these are things like it's insane to me that somebody gets pissed off that they're not making a million bucks, but God's giving you the opportunity to earn, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year and you can't maintain that. Right. So how in the world do you think that you're going to be able to manage a million dollars? If you can't, if you can't manage six figures, you ain't going to manage seven figures. And it's recognizing that I'm at where I'm at today. I'm not where I want to be, uh-huh. but I'm here where I'm at today because it took me so long to learn certain lessons. I was horrible with money for a long time. And now I realize why I didn't progress to the level that I thought I should have been at years ago is because I didn't have the skill set I needed to be able to manage this. Wow. Like one of the greatest lessons I think my dad ever taught me was uh, take care of whatever you got treated like a million bucks. Like my very first vehicle, um, my parents made a deal with me, whatever you save will match it. And that's going to be your first car. And my first car was a 1990 Pontiac LE Coupe. Biggest piece of crap you'd ever seen in your life. But man, if those tires weren't always shining, the interior (laughs) wasn't like impeccably good. The oil was always changed on time. Like that car was well taken care of. And now, you know, of course, a year and a half ago, I went out and bought a brand new vehicle for my wife and a brand new vehicle for myself. And it looks nice. I've yeah. seen it. And because <laughs> I can, because I took care of the crappy right. three thousand dollar car, right, right. I can now. And yeah, I could have went out and got a ninety thousand dollar vehicle, but like again, for what? Right. Like, if I can buy a vehicle that's going to meet my needs for forty k, let me take that other forty k and put it into something else. Because once you have kids and you have a legacy, like you're not just thinking about your life; you're thinking about things past this. Um, and it's things like that that I have to think of where like, mom, you don't have a life insurance policy. Okay. That's on me. Right. I need to go out and get that. Um, being married, my in-laws, hey, y'all don't have life. insurance. All right. I'm putting something on you. Like these are things I have to think as a visionary. I have to think 20 years down the road. I can't be thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking 20 years down the road. Now there are people, different people on my team at different phases. Like I'm the big visionary and there are three of us on my executive team here. I'm the big visionary looking five, 10 years down the road. I got another guy on the team, on the executive team that's looking like six months to 12 months down the road. And I got another guy that's looking at things on a quarterly basis. 
so that we're always kind of staying on track and making sure things are in line with the bigger vision. Right. But because of the things I want to do five years from now, doesn't mean it's the right time for me to start these things now. Like I have a big entrepreneurship conference that I'm putting on next summer. This is probably the biggest undertaking I've ever done as an entrepreneur in my eyes, what, I, what I'm looking to accomplish here. And this is some like, this is probably my number one goal as an entrepreneur to have a conference where somebody can come in brand new, wanting to be an entrepreneur and they're going to get everything from A to Z that they need to know about starting a business. Like lawyers are going to be on stage talking about your contract. CPAs are going to be talking about taxes. My team will be talking about marketing. Um, you'll have every facet of a business that you need to understand the information that I didn't initially get. It's not an easy thing to put on. Like conferences are a hard thing to put on. I don't have the skill set or the patience to do that. So I found some people <laughs> that can put this together. Um, one lady who's done this for years, I said, you know, initially I can't pay you up front to do this stuff, but here's what I can do is I can pay you off the ticket sales. So if you believe in yourself and you believe what I'm putting together, let's work together. Wow. And she said, hell yeah. Um, so that's my biggest undertaking um, so far to put this together. But yeah, you got to have, it's this balance of knowing where you are today and getting there, but understand that these losses or these L's that come in your life is to teach you something to get you to the next level mm -hmm. because you can't, if you can't manage yourself, how are you going to manage a team of 50 people? Right. So it's like, yeah. it, like Meek Mill said, there's levels to this That's stuff. real man. game. Yeah. So, uh, you having, you being such a visionary, do you just plan forward and you work towards that goal or do you reverse engineer? I'm not much of a reverse engineer guy. Like I get a vision for something. Hey, I want that. This is what I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Let's bring the team together and figure out how to do this. Because the people on my team are way more detail-oriented than I am, <laughs> like way more. <laughs> and that's another big thing is understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Like I don't – there's no – I don't lose sight of where my skill set is and what I suck at. And the things that I suck at, I make sure that other people are doing those things. Like I suck at following up with clients. I suck at it. There, there. I know for a fact there have been hundreds of thousand dollars I've lost over the years because of my lack of follow up. I know there is. So there are people on the team that they're totally embedded in our systems, and they come to me. People that work here know if Sam gives you something to do, or he he needs to do something himself, and he tells you to remind him. It's not like he doesn't have the capacity to be able to do this stuff himself. It's just the way his brain works. Like once I have an idea or I need something done and I unleash it to the team, I relinquish any responsibility for it at that point. Hmm. Hey, this is for you. Like right now, like I should have did my SWAM certification so long ago. Um, and now there's a team member that she's tasked with every single week. She has to book a time on my calendar, meet with me and make sure that I'm doing the things I need to do for SWAM. <laughs> and while we're on the call, I'm giving her the information she needs. And we do like 30 minute increments. Okay. That's all I have time for today. You know, put something what is, in the calendar. What is SWAM by the way? So that's for um, certification for small business owners. So there are a lot of small women or minority business owners. And there are a lot of grants, government grants out there that you're able to get just because you're, you know, a minority or because you're a female owned business. Um, and there's just hundreds. Now, there are millions of dollars in each state worth of contracts out there that they have to work with SWAM certified companies. Wow. Um, that so many entrepreneurs miss out on that I've been missing out on for the longest time. So it's definitely something we need to get done. But um, I understand that I'm weak in these areas. So I'm not going to continue to beat myself over the head and like, you know, what they can do in 15 minutes may take me two hours to do. So why would I waste two hours when they can do it in 15 minutes? I'm a young entrepreneur. 
and I come to you and I say, what is the biggest skill that I should have to be successful in whatever business I mm-hmm. have to that? You say consistency mm-hmm. hands down, hands down, like just not stopping will get you so far. Like, you know, you look at these little nursery rhymes that we learned as a kid, like with the tortoise in the hair. Dude, that is the biggest lesson, not just in entrepreneurship, but just in life. If you just keep going, you're going to eventually win. Like, you can't tell me that if you want to drop 100 pounds and you just consistently go to the gym five days a week and work out, that you're not going to lose that weight. Right. You can't tell me that you are. Now, if you're injecting, you know, double cheeseburgers right. in your arm every two seconds, then, yeah, that's a problem. Right. But you're not going to want to if you're working out that much right. because you're like, man, I just wasted my whole workout. Like, yeah. what did I do that for? Like, it just puts you in a completely different mindset. Consistency and discipline is the biggest factor needed for success um, because motivation lasts about this long. Mm. Motivation will only keep you going for a short period of time. It's discipline. It's doing the things you don't want to do, but doing them because you know it's, it's what needs to be done. Um, I tell people all the time, dude, I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. It sucks. It <laughs> sucks. But when I'm looking at somebody like a Mark Wahlberg who's saying that he gets up at 3.30 in the morning every day and I'm trying to get on his level, who am I to think that I get to sleep an extra two, three hours more than Mark Wahlberg and I'm trying to get to his level? If he's still doing that now after he's reached all the levels of success he has, I'm not going to get there like half-assing it. Yeah. Um, so it's that discipline of doing those things and saying, Hey, I'm just going to suck this up. Like I don't always feel like reading, uh-huh. but I do it because I know it's part of the process. Um, I don't always feel like making content and being on and doing all this stuff, but you know what? I do it because it's part of the process. Um, and on that consistency train, like give people an example here. So on the social media stuff, um, you know, you know, I were talking about this earlier, you know, I'm in the golf hardcore now. <laughs> so I made a video um, and this was probably like the lowest quality video I've done in a long time, where it's literally just me selfie mode on my cell phone. And I made a video, a reel about things that new golfers say. So like there's a docu-series on Netflix called Full Swing. So it's like, hey guys, you seen Full Swing? Like, oh my God, it's so good. And then it's like, you know, Tiger's a goat. Like who's going to beat them? John Daly. And then it's like me practicing my swing in random spots and doing all this stuff. Um, when I posted that video, it's been about a month now. When I posted that video, I knew it picked up a lot quicker than most of my videos because within the first 40 to 72 hours, it had already gotten like 12,000 views, which is a lot faster than most of my videos pick up. So I was like, hmm, this is interesting. After that, kind of quiet for a couple of weeks. This past week, all of a sudden it started to take off and it went from 12,000 views to 66,000 views to 100,000 views to 250,000 views to now I think we're sitting at about 340,000 views. Wow. And a lot of people would look at that and say, oh, well, he just did this one video and he blew up. No, that video is at 340,000 views because of the hundreds, if not thousands of videos I did prior to that nobody watched. Mm. It's that level of consistency because now I understand nobody knows the code to make a video go viral. Right. But there are certain elements of a video that you can incorporate that has the potential to take it viral. I now understand that because of so much content I've done and the research I 
where I'm most people are looking at somebody's video. They got a million views and they're just like, oh, man, it's the same. They got a million views. I'm breaking the video down and saying, OK, what was it about this right. that got it to a million right. views? And I'm not saying this video is going to get to a million views, but this is by far the biggest viewed video I've ever had on my platform. Um, I think the closest one I've ever had was 200,000 views. Right. So, I mean, I'm over 140,000 views more than my last biggest video. Yeah. Um, but it was the consistency to stick with it. Day in and day out where I'm constantly shoveling out video because I don't know what's going to hit and what's not. And it's it's funny that you talk about the quality, right? Like mm-hmm. your lowest quality video. But there is a point where qualitative beats quantitative. Like qualitative is better than quantitative. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. And to me, it's one of those things. I want to get the hot and I have access to be able to make high quality video. But there are those moments where it's like, like I told you, I don't feel like doing some stuff sometimes, right. but I just know I need to get something out. And I'll just get these bursts of inspiration. And that's where I follow my gut and say, this is in my head now. It's on my heart now. Let me just do it before life gets in the way and I don't get to do this. So I was just sitting there and I'm like, man, this'd be pretty funny if somebody did a video like this. Right. And I didn't write a script. I didn't do any <laughs> of that stuff. I'm just running off the top of the dome freestyle and then putting this together in the process. Um but people go back after they see that video that's over 300,000 views and they go back and look at my content. They're seeing this high quality content and seeing that this guy puts right, a lot of effort into it. Right, and that's right. where the following starts to pick right. up because they're able to look back at the other stuff that I've done. So yeah, I'm, I'm more the mindset of like make it quality, but if quality is limiting you from being consistent and getting it out on a regular basis, then don't worry about the quality. Just get it out because eventually your quality is going to go up. Like it'll get to the point where you're like, okay, now this is reaching a certain demographic. Cause now I'm trying to make deals with different brands. Like as a golfer now, I don't want to be paying for anything golf related. I don't want to pay for my golf bags. I don't want to pay for my golf balls. I don't want to pay for my golf polos. I don't want to be paying for tea times. So like, <laughs> The other day, yesterday, I got connected to the owner of a local golf course here. I'm going to end up making a deal with this brother because, number one, here's the biggest thing I got going for me in golf. Not everybody looks like us. Right, right. So to have someone who is an avid golfer and passionate about the game that can expand their brand and bring more clientele to them, this is one of the few times where I feel being a black man is majorly in my advantage. (laughs) So I'm going to work that as much as I can. But now being able to go to these brands and show them, hey, I have the videos that have 300 some thousand views. I have a consistent track record. I own a media company. Whatever it is you guys need, I can do it. And it can come from the perspective of somebody that you guys are trying to reach. Like if you get on there, Mr. White CEO, and try to tell us black boys that we should be golfing, it's probably not going to connect with the audience. But they see me with Jordans in the background and me coming in with my swag and saying, hey, I'm doing it this way and I'm talking like them. They're much more likely to pick up the game and be interested in your brand based off the fact that it came from me and not from you. And that's something that's not often talked about is actually using your disadvantage Mm -hmm. as an advantage. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're in a small market and you're the only black person there, don't think about being the only black person there. Think, hey, I am the only candidate like myself. Absolutely. So uh, with that said, I think you've answered everything that I had. Um, but the last question I want to ask you is, uh, what's next? Hmm. What's next? Um, the speaking thing is what I'm really focused on now. Like if I do have a number one passion, it's public speaking. I just love being able to add value, talk to people. Um, I would, I would hold you here for two hours, but to inspire people and, and show them, 
you know, dude, I'm nothing special and I'm nowhere near where I want to be. But there's so many people that have the opportunity to live the life they want. They're just not aware of it. Like had I known growing up that there was somebody like me doing this type of stuff, I probably never would have messed with college in general. I would have just gone straight after entrepreneurship and been further along than I am now. Um, but not enough people have this knowledge. And it's not just about people. I mean, it could be anybody. It could be, you know, an Asian guy living in the suburbs. It could be a white guy in the trailer park, or it could be a black kid that grew up middle class. Like it doesn't matter, but the message, and I'm not the only one out there giving this message, but like people receive it from certain individuals. Like, you know, growing up, your dad will tell you something 20 times and then your basketball coach says it to you and you come home and tell your dad, Oh man, you know, really? believe my coach? it's like, boy, I've been telling you that the last 10 years. Like, <laughs> You, the information hasn't changed. It's just who you're receiving right. it from that it, you may, it may connect a little bit better with you. Right. Um, so for me, that's the number one thing. So like I have a goal uh, by the end of this year, I've had my first, I became an international speaker earlier this year. Um, had so, uh, a, had congratulations. a talk. Congratulations. Please, Jamie. Oh, we got the we got the sound effects. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> had the, uh, had the talk in Turks and Caicos. Um, and after that, I was like, you know, I got the bug. Um, and I want to have at least another six paid speaking gigs outside of Virginia before the end of this year. Um, I've hired a few people putting together, putting together a team. They make 30% commission off of anything that we book. I'm not booking any talks less than three K, um, shooting for the 10, 10 K talk. Um, but they're going to make, you know, just for making connections, they're gonna make 900 bucks off of a talk, you know, sitting from the laptop. Um, so I know that's going to be a big thing for me this year. Um, I don't know. It's just leveling everything up from what we're doing now. Okay. It's, it's not, I do have specific numbers in terms of (laughs) what I want to make. Um, just because I know what it's going to take to get to a certain level, like, uh, 350 K a year is the, or actually 400 K a year is the goal that I'm striving for right now. Personally for myself has nothing to do with the business, but what I generate and pay myself at 400 K, because if you're making that, there ain't nothing that you can't invest in. There ain't anything that you can't do. Like exactly. any trip you want to take. Exactly. Like if you're making four hundred k a year, everybody has in this mind. I got to make a million dollars. Nah, you're making four hundred k a year. You got it. You that dude. <laughs> right. All right. Um. So that's a big goal for me. For me in the next next couple of years here. Okay. Sam Anderson, Mister Preneur. Where can people find you? How can they reach you? And if they want to do business with the firm. Yep. Uh. What website is that? Yeah. Just search us online. Uh, Enzo media firm, Enzo spelled E N S O Enzo media firm.com. Uh, anything with my brand, Mr. Preneur, just search Mr. Preneur online. If you can't find me, then your fingers don't work. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm on the internet. <laughs> All links for Mr. Preneur will be below. I want to thank you for coming on the show again. Absolutely. I truly appreciate you doing this one more time. I know you're a busy guy. For sure, man. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. Stop complaining, my nigga. Go hard and stay. Invest in yourself. Fuck what they say. You can accomplish anything with a solid plan. I want to thank you guys for listening. Please be sure to check out the site, keepituplifting.com, to stay in touch with all of us here at the podcast. We would love to hear from you, especially myself, the main host, but we would love to hear from you. Any topics you would love to talk about. And 
We just dropped the discipline shirts and hoodies on the store. Uh, you can also reach that from keepituplifting.com. The link to that will be in the listen notes as well. Uh, and just want to say we appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. Thank you so much. And always and always keep it uplifting.